Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm talking to Norman Rice. Norman is the Chief Operating Officer of Extreme Networks, and we're going to be talking about the rise of esports in schools, about the work Extreme Networks does providing infrastructure to those programs, and quite a few other things, uh, including a survey they recently did with a bunch of different schools, really getting a lay of the land of where esports programs are at schools in various higher education. Uh, thank you for joining me, Norman. I appreciate you coming on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Mitch. So I'm going to have you start with a bit of an elevator pitch for Extreme Networks. How do you explain the company to somebody who doesn't know anything about it? Sure. So Extreme Networks, we are a global provider of networking solutions for enterprise customers. We are driving the cloud. You know, we're, we're software-driven networking solutions for the enterprise. What that means is software and, and built in a cloud mantra means that uh, we utilize our software technologies to help differentiate our capabilities with automation and controls. And we pair that with our unique technologies for network connectivity, which is think of switching within an infrastructure and then enterprise grade Wi-Fi. We have 50,000 customers around the world. We have 6,000 partners we go to market with, and we're best known in the marketplace in a few verticals, including education, where we've got thousands of education institutions across the world and including the United States. Uh, uh, sports and entertainment, where we have number one market share with the NFL. And then we're a leader in healthcare and retail and transportation logistics with some of the top brand names in the industry, including FedEx, Walmart, UPS, Kroger, and the list goes on. That's really interesting. How long has Extreme Networks been working in esports? It's such a new frontier, and we've seen so many companies get involved. What is what does the esports process look like for the company? Yeah, so esports is a new phenomenon for all of us. Uh, Extreme's been involved with and looking into esports over the last two years. Uh, it started for us coming from our sports and entertainment group, where we effectively have been selling and, and positioning our technology and delivering solutions for high density environments with think of thousands of fans in a stadium where we're providing Wi-Fi connect and you know those types of things. That's where it came to us from, but then it evolved uh, through our education side of our business where we had customers coming to us, including uh, schools like UNC, like SUNY Canton, which is in upstate New York, that came to us and said, hey, we're building a program and we're looking to outfit the program or the arena that's gonna deliver for this program with the latest and greatest high performance technology. And that's where Extreme comes into play. We partner up with Alienware to deliver specific solutions for esports arenas and for esports participants and athletes uh, across both professional and collegiate level uh, and amateur level uh, uh, playing uh, programs. So that's really where it came to us. It started with high density from our professional sports area and it trickled over and, it, and the demand came to us through our education customers who were moving forward, building arenas and looking for systems. And wow, what a, what a great set of, 
of input and feedback we've gotten from them over the past year, year and a half, two years, where we've seen these programs flourish. And you see a small program like SUNY Canton, a small school of 3,200 students, 18 miles from the border with Canada. A thousand of those students are online students. And this is their number one sports program. They have 300 kids in the sports or athletes, student athletes in their sports program. And this they're fastest growing. And uh, in fact, one of the, the things we just had an event with them last week, we had the uh, first annual education and esports summit and SUNY Camp was one of the speakers so I'm giving you fresh information you know they went from a, a school that is not well known to being the epicenter of what's going on in esports schools from all over the world are contacting them for how do you structure it where should it fall is this part of uh, athletics or is it a club for them it's athletics and then how do you build and sponsor and support a program uh, across the board, and we're right there with them as this is all evolving and developing. That's one of the coolest things about the current state of collegiate esports is in traditional athletics, you're so used to the top-level schools that have the most students, they have the biggest football, basketball programs, whatever sport it is has their preeminent dynasty. But you look at esports programs, and the leaders are UC Irvine, which is close to Esports Network's home uh, down in Irvine. Robert Morris, uh, these yeah. smaller schools, uh, SUNY Canton, that can they got in at esports on the ground level, and now they're really making their names in this program in a way that you know was never going to be possible for them in traditional athletics. But esports gave them a chance to become one of the most uh, respected programs in the country in a form of athletics, in a form of of sport, which is really cool thing to see from these smaller universities. Absolutely. That's that's what's really cool about it. You see it, who's emerging as a leader and why. So I think some of the smaller schools that you mentioned, the, the reason they're seen as a leader is they've been really aggressive at taking this on and designing a program. For them, it's a way to differentiate. It's a way for them to uh, attract student enrollment, which has been a challenge for all universities across the, the U.S. in particular. And they're able to attract people to smaller schools because they've got a differentiator or something unique. And esports has the potential to be the most inclusive sport of any athletic out there. And it'll include all types of students. It doesn't matter or discriminate against anyone. And so that's one of the, the fundamentals that comes. The second thing I think, uh, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, but I think really this is going to be at the center of the amateur professional discussion in college and in athletics in particular. When you have amateurism in, for example, big program football at University of Michigan, my alumni, or uh, Ohio State or Oregon, where you went, uh, you have these big, massive programs that the students are student athletes, they have scholarships, they go to school. That's effectively their form of compensation, and they're put on you know they're they're highlighting athletics and part of representing the university and all the heritage around it and then conversely you look at an esports program at a small school again upstate new york is the example and you think about amateurism with that group and in fact it's an opportunity for uh 
a small school that, that doesn't have definition of tied to perhaps big state education or federal institutional funding, and they can take something like eSports and turn the model upside down. And the example I give is, you know, how does, how does a, a SUNY Canton compete against Ohio State in the future in terms of attracting kids? By definition, they won't, unless there's something uh, that sets them apart. And what they can do to set themselves apart in partnership with the ECAC, which is the athletic conference, Eastern Coastal Athletic Conference, is they can take the steps to help those student become or, or be part of sponsorship or opportunities as opposed to fighting against it. So in Ohio State, for example, would, would, would uh, err on the side of maintaining amateurism for all of the right reasons. However, SUNY Canton can offer a program where if you join their school or their program, they can set you up and help you take the steps forward with sponsorship or tie out to a professional team uh, because they're not bound by the same guidelines. And that's, that's something I talked to their athletic department about. How do they take this whole program forward? Yeah, again, really an interesting thing, especially for the small schools. They've proven that because they aren't the massive ship, although Ohio State, it does seem like they're going to be one of the leaders of the Power Five conferences with their esports program. But you're right. They, as such a massive ship with, you know, 40, 50,000 students, it's going to take a long time for the faculty to appease all their different concerns, whether it's amateurism, whether it's Title IX concerns. For Ohio State or for Oregon or for any of these massive programs, it's going to take a while before they can really get it into a front and center position in the university, and it may never get there, which really gives SUNY Canton and UC Irvine and Robert Morris these uh, intrinsic advantages in the esports world because they don't need to care as much. They know that they, they don't have to worry about the amateurism issue because the NCAA is not involved. But Ohio State such has such a long relationship with the NCAA that they still have to be aware of that. Even though the NCAA isn't in esports, Ohio State still needs to care that they aren't and that about amateurism just in case they have to cover all their bases yeah you're you're spot on mitch it's uh as i was saying ohio state will have thousands more participants than a smaller school will have um it may stay or be a club as opposed to or a college program as opposed to an athletic program if it is an athletic program or how it evolves as an athletic program, again, there's different levels of definition so that you can adhere to those rules. Conversely, you take the smaller schools, they have a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, going as far as proposing that they effectively turn them all upside down and they offer their athletes actually to get paid while they're students. They're professionals. Uh, they can drum up. Uh, marketing materials that can be part of sponsorships. There's no reason that a kid or a student that's a teenager uh, can't be sponsored as an athlete while going to school. And uh, it happened in you know different sports over our lifetime. You think of skiing, you think of uh, different sports like snowboarding or skateboarding. Uh, why why can't a why can't a kid go to school and and be part of an esports program and and not be uh, promoting, you know, game fuel by Mountain Dew and not be part of that or sponsored by. 
yeah, you can do and, a and school that, branded Twitch channel that that you sell sponsorships on. That's just right. one avenue one avenue of potential revenue. You're right. There's a lot of different options for these kids when they're not as concerned with amateurism because they don't have to be. Right. Right. Exactly. You there, get it through the Twitch channel or you get it through different forms of traditional sponsorship. And I think we're really at the beginning, you know, we're really at a, uh, the early stages of this entire evolution and what it's going to look like over the next three to five years is going to be very dramatically different than what we see today. The way that we're seeing the adoption rates go up, the interest from schools, the participation of people in schools, um, it's, it's really unprecedented the speed this is happening. And it went from organizations going from, you know, there's no way we're going to look into it to, hey, we've got the mandate in our program to do that. K-12 as well. So this is not just a higher ed phenomenon. It's K-12 schools and school districts, the thousands I mentioned earlier, that are, are building programs. They want to give their kids opportunities, just like they do with athletics, an opportunity to grow and evolve and compete at the high school level, the college level, get scholarships for high school or college, and so on and so forth. So there's lots of different uh, sponsorship scholarship scenarios. And then where I was going as well with, you know, why I think it's early onset, we're just now starting to see main stage brands move into this space. The professional sponsorship type programs, the, the broader mainstream, you know, those advertising and, and product brand awareness is just starting to, to trickle across this, this paradigm. And I think it's going to change and accelerate schools and, and adoption of esports as something that uh, is meaningful to their organization. Oh, absolutely. And everyone knows how much brands love the 18 to 26 demo that is the college age kid. That is such a sought after demographic for so many brands. So it's a really natural partnership between brands and these college programs in the future. You mentioned about how attitudes have changed at programs. And I want to speak a little anecdotally. I graduated from University of Oregon two and a half years ago now. In my senior year, I was chasing down as many faculty members as I could. Like, hey, University of Utah just announced a varsity program. It's like, there's a precedent here. We should be doing stuff in esports. And it was always, no, we don't, we don't have the resources. We don't know where, we don't know where that goes. And I was just back on campus last weekend talking to the new UO Esports Club, which has a whole dedicated room right in the heart of the EMU, our like center building on campus. And the program that I was part of, Duck TV, is creating Duck TV Esports, which it used to just be Duck TV Sports, and now they're creating esports, and they're going to be doing the broadcasting for the esports club uh, on Twitch and doing live broadcasts through that. And it's just crazy to see how two years ago I'm out there chasing, running around with a hit like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to find somebody who will listen to me, and now two years later we have direct initiatives moving forward in the program and that's happening across the nation. You know, it's esports has become impossible to ignore. Even just when extreme networks got into it two years ago, there were still plenty of people who had no idea what esports are. And now it feels like there's a general baseline knowledge of it. 
And that's allowing it to really take hold in a lot of different universities and in, like you said, K-12. So and yeah, I think that brings us to the education yeah, survey. Um, and I really uh, yeah, want... Yeah, I was just going <laughs> Sure, go I ahead. Just gonna add, I'm sorry, but I was just going to say, just, just what you... Just capping off what you said, you have all this uh, change that you're experiencing within the university itself, and they're their willingness to adapt. And I think one of the things that we found with this survey, as you segue to the survey and with our summit, is the attitude change. So it's not, oh, geez, you know, this is just a bunch of tech stuff and it's against what athletics stand for. We, we want people outside doing stuff or it's not really the fiber of the school or it's not really good for people. And a lot of what came out was very contrary to that. And it was, why does it live in athletics? And the athletic director explained it lives in athletics because what athletics knows how to do is coach a team, build a team, inspire teamsmanship amongst, you know, the players, and then monitor academics and, and making sure that the students are continuing to perform at school. And that's precisely what they're doing. They're taking non-traditional team and turning it into a team and then monitoring it and, and ensuring value. So, that they boasted that uh, some of the success when it's in or part of the athletics program, um, and then some of the challenges that organizations saw is when it's tied up somewhere else. For example, Colorado College attended, and they said, hey, it, it lives in IT. Uh, it only lives in IT because they didn't know where to put it, information technology. Uh, they didn't know where to put it. It was a club. Then it wasn't a club. Now it's a club again. Um, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of that as organizations, schools in particular, go through this adoption phase of what is it, how do we engage, and what what is the, the true benefit and value of it. Um, and it's not just monetary, it's all the other things. It's, it's the inclusion and having people that traditionally may not be in a club or a group uh, participate in a club or a group. Um, and benefit from that interaction. Yeah, it, it is an interesting conversation of where it belongs in the university. And that was something I heard back. I think it, what it ultimately comes down to for universities is that you're going to have thousands of students playing these games in their living rooms, in dorm rooms, in their bedrooms. Do you want them to just be playing separate from the university? Or do you want to create a structure that welcomes these players in and they get to compete under the University of Oregon ban uh, banner or whatever college you have. Do you want them to compete under your banner in a public place where you can bring other students in? You can use it as a recruiting tool because they're going to be playing these games anyway. So it's just giving students the opportunity to do it with other students and to do it as part of the university as a whole. And that's something that I think every university wants them to do. It's better to have a united student population who's doing things together, doing things for the school, representing their school, increasing school pride, than doing it all isolated, playing ranked matches in their bedroom. It's just a better thing for every single university. Every university wants that to happen. So yeah, I wanted to move on to the education survey because I thought this was a really interesting look at where esports is in a variety of schools. And my favorite stat from it was 20% of schools have an esports program, but 70% of those were started in the last year. 
So the question I have for you is how high do you think we see that 20% number go to in three years? What percentage of schools do you think have an esports program in three years? Well, I, I, my sense is it's over 50%. And I, they'll have some program, whether it's intercollegiate or intramural, but they'll have, a, would say, around north of 50%. I say that based on the data. We see, you know, the 26% say they have the program, 45% are considering it, 29% are not, not there yet. And of that 29%, many of those resemble the University of Oregon, like your story where two years ago when you asked about it, they didn't have any view. Today they've got a full-fledged program that's certainly early in its life cycle, but it's up and running. Yeah, I think it's a it's a ball going down a hill that's only going to keep picking up speed because at the U of O, you can have... They don't quite have a program yet, but say Oregon State was to do an official program. Suddenly you kick into that rivalry mode of, oh, they've got a program? Well, we need one because we don't want people going to that school when they would have gone to our school just because they have an esports program. And I can see that picking up across the nation where it becomes weird if you don't have a program. And at that point, every school is trying to scramble to create something, some infrastructure for esports. So I think I think 50% is a good estimate and maybe even a little bit conservative. I could see that going pretty high very quickly. Just looking at how esports has grown in just the last couple of years where it was not even a thing on the U of O campus and now it's official club with its own place. And U of O is probably lagging behind the general uh, university population at this with you've got, I think over 50 varsity programs at universities now and you know, hundreds upon hundreds more club and intramural programs. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see. It is going to be interesting to see because I also think about, Think of the, as mainstream marketing comes into play, sponsorships come into play, at what point do you reach saturation? Um, is there saturation at the collegiate level? Maybe not, because we're, we're really early, and then you're, the, the interests are very broad. They're not specific for one outcome. And then you've got you know different professional leagues and uh, professional organizations like Riot Games, those types of organizations. EA Sports that are trying to drive a specific outcome, which is adoption of their particular product, and and they're pursuing it in one direction. And then I, you know, I also see that um, just following one of your examples, uh, the professional league. So professional teams that were owned by uh, many of them are owned by professional sports teams here in the U.S. and Many of them, for example, within the NBA, uh, there was there was a uh, two years ago the NBA owners got together and just a handful of owners uh, had professional esports teams, and they were willing to go through all the, the the pomp and circumstance of having the house, recruiting the players, setting up a league, setting up a commissioner, doing trades, and having fun with it. And people dismissed it as, "Oh, geez, this is just a gimmick." And it's going to be a short-lived thing, and there's no real monetization aspect to it, and it doesn't make sense. The second year, when they came back and reported what had happened in the first year, every owner has a team. Every team has the exact same stuff. They have houses. There's a budget. There's a salary cap. There's trade deadlines. 
there's a commissioner. And it's not because they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. It's because there's an opportunity and they're seeing that at the early stages and they've established rules, guidelines for the professional league, which are attracting significant sponsorship and, and more importantly for, for a lot of the folks, new viewers, new, new eyes that can consume these products and then become unique ways for them to place, in this example, NBA products or NBA games or, or other types of activities. Yeah, are we talking about the NBA 2K League here? Yeah, it's we just saw a team uh, come in from Shanghai as well. Well, the Shanghai Dragons, I think their their name was. They're based in L.A. out of Gen G, but it was an interesting international edition. And I think there are still a couple NBA owners holding out. We're not quite at full adoption. I think it's like 24 teams in the league right now. Um, not sure what's going on in those last ownership groups, but I know last I checked there were you know, like a smattering, and, and surprisingly, I believe Cuban is one of them, Mark Cuban, who has plenty of other esports investments. But some of the, the esports guys, they, they had some issues with the NBA 2K League. It's actually an interesting case study of some of the more esports heavy owners stayed out of the league. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing going on in the NBA 2K League right now. But I agree, you see this, and it's once some owners get involved, Everybody wants to get involved. It's this mass adoption phenomenon that you don't want to get left behind the curve. And it's it's happening all over esports. It happens. You see all the sports owners getting into the Overwatch and uh, League of Legends as well. If you look at the LCS ownership groups, I did this thought exer- exercise about a month ago. You can trace every single uh, League Championship Series team, the North America League of Legends group, you could trace every single one of their ownership groups to the NBA in some way, whether it's the direct owner uh, or it's a player who's invested like in Team Liquid's Axiomatic, where you've got Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan invested in that. You could trace every single ownership group either directly or through an investment to an NBA player or owner. And I thought that was really cool, just showing how the league has really totally embraced esports in a variety of ways. That is very cool. I'd love to see that if you've got a report on that or something, because that's, that's a very cool set of stats. One thing we can talk anecdotally about is one of our customers is Madison Square Garden, and mm-hmm. they told us uh, that of all the events that they run, the highest demand and hardest ticket to get is their eSports weekend, which is a championship weekend, which is something that when you think of a venue as popular and iconic as MSG or Madison Square Garden and think of all the different gaming events that have been there, whether they're professional, amateur, or rock concerts or anything else, the fact that the esports activity and event is more uh, higher, is higher demand than some of these others, or selling out more rapidly, it's it's just it's an example of what is happening out there. And what also fascinates me, Mitch, is you and I are exposed to the topic uh, you're very exposed to it as a, as a writer and a, somebody who's an expert in the area. We're exposed to it from a technology as a technology provider. Um, but how many people know nothing about it? And it's growing so fast, yet a majority of the people, certainly my contemporaries, people in my industry, people I talk to in general, have no concept that this is going on. And it could be generational. It could be lots of things. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird balance a little bit where now I'm so steep in the world. I'm like, everybody knows about esports, but you're right. Sometimes I do come across people and it's still not not known. But, you know, as time goes on, it's permeating more mainstream. Fortnite actually had a really huge push into that in the massive prize pool and a game that was free to play. And, you know, now you see Ninja on Ellen and you see him on Jimmy Fallon and doing all these like mainstream opportunities in a Super Bowl ad. And it's that kind of representation that sort of forces the mainstream to be like, okay, really, this is this is a big thing now. This isn't just on the fringes. This is a huge deal. And it's permeating like I'll bet a bunch of people watching Ellen that day had no idea what this was. And now they know about Fortnite because they know Ninja. That's just genius uh, marketing from him. But it's those kind of things that really are pushing this into the mainstream. And it'd be interesting to see a nationwide poll of how much people know about esports. Yes, I know what esports are. Uh, I'm aware of them, but don't know anything more than just video games or no, I have no idea what that is. I'd be really interested to see those stats. I wonder if that poll is out there somewhere. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. And I think when you look at our the survey we ran, which people will be able to get, you know, connected to hopefully through this this interview. But you know, back to some of the comments we made earlier about forty five percent of those surveyed said that it's gonna be an inter school or varsity sport. Twenty four percent said it's gonna be intramural and thirty two percent said it's gonna be both. You talked about you know, different games and the popularity. Fortnite, 38% uh, expect to have the school compete in that. League of Legends, 82%. Overwatch, 52%. That's one of the challenges teams are going to face now. How many games, how many teams do you support? How do you rotate the team? The rules are not defined. And that's where the opportunity exists for a college league to create the rules. How many teams? How many How many? You know, how many, which games do you pick each year? How do you rotate through? And that's going to be lots of opportunity uh, to create that and create that uh, competitive outcome like the NCAA tournament. And just all these numbers are just so encouraging in terms of uh, participation and everything else. One of the things I like, you talked about your favorite stat. Mine is uh, 85% that it diversifies activities and it, it leads to diversity. 44% 44% say that it helps foster STEM among students and it, it's intertwined in terms of which students benefit. It doesn't matter. It's all students. So those are some of the cool things. And as, as organizations come around to the fact that there's educational value and how kids interact with each other, with other teams, and then ultimately uh, building better technology as game designers and, and STEM and programmers for the future. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about how esports, this is just another reason why faculty and administrators should be on board with esports, is the value it brings in an educational environment. You you see a lot of things in traditional athletics where it's like these kids are playing the sport and it hurts their ability to succeed in school because they have to practice all this time. But esports is so many different job opportunities. I mean, you have all the same ones you have in sports with managers, coaches, players, but then you also have things like graphic design and coding and computer engineering and all these different 
unique areas. Even math is involved in quite a few, like some of the card games, some of the strategy games. It it's really interesting to see. You know, esports is not just games. They they lead to a lot of interesting careers, and you could find even more careers than you probably can in sport off of esports and off of the different things that esports allows you to get some knowledge in. Yeah, yeah. And you think about read and timing, one of the things that struck me was, you know, the future of high frequency trading. You can have high frequency trading, which is typically computer driven or system driven. You can make decisions similar and play gamify. Think about that and, and being able to out game or out outspeed the system because of your really it's a series of eye hand coordination and quick response reactions. Um, one of the kids, uh, one of the student athletes spoke on a panel last week, said something that, that really struck me. He was talking about being a gamer and said the equipment that they have by being part of the team is so high tech. Again, using, you know, our networking technology along with Alienware and the big system and there's time limits. So they're only permitted because of certain rules that they have at the school and, and frankly, the number of machines they have and the number of kids they have. So they play two to four hours a night and it's scheduled time and they train or they rotate different days depending on how many, how many athletes or how many kids are involved. And what he said was, hey, I'm a gamer anyway and I basically get it out of my system because when you walk back from uh, from from being in a session in this really immersive, amazing arena and gaming situation and high intensity of that, then you walk back to your room and go back to a regular system and you're trying to communicate, you're talking to your friends or keep playing. It's anticlimactic. It's, it's no longer interesting. So you get geared up to get out of your system. And what he said is I actually go back and do my homework because I'm bored with the regular <laughs> stuff. It's no longer interesting. <laughs> that was something I was not expecting as an answer. Yeah, I dream of playing on the ping. I'm sure you guys could provide for those arenas. So going back and then playing with some latency, I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm just going to go play all my games in the arena. So that gets into an interesting yeah. conversation about what Extreme Networks is doing for schools. How does that process look like? What, what do you, When you go to a new school that wants to bring you guys in to help improve the network, where does that process start and how does how long does it take and how do you improve the already existing uh, network in the school? Yeah, it, it all depends on what the customer wants to do. So if the school is looking, for example, to enhance a high density area, which is think of gaming as high throughput, very fast speed, uh, big computing requirements. What we do is we understand and learn the requirements and we match our technology or build technology that'll help them meet that outcome. And then we continue to measure it, monitor it, help them implement it, and then look to optimize it after the fact. So as they're using it, real, real world things happen. Um, and we're talking specifically about e-gaming for a moment, but you take that, extend that to an arena. Think of a sporting area, the football stadium, the, the you know hockey arena, baseball stadium, and real world things happen. When you put tens of thousands of people into a, a an enclosed area or small area, your RF changes. So your connectivity changes because of water, 
because of people, because of dynamics, because of all the different systems happening, as well as the design of the building, the, the metal on the roof, the, the, all these types of things interfere. And then other things happen. Um, they, uh, the facilities organization puts something in that blocks uh, communication. All these things I'm talking about have happened. Uh, the Super Bowl halftime, uh, the pyrotechnics were put in it shut off one of the systems uh, or there was interference. You know, these are the types of things that happen. And what we do is we design the technology to meet the use case the customer has. Then we work with them to optimize it because all types of things happen along the way. And ultimately, you can't be ready for everything. But if you've got adaptive software and, and technology underneath, you can manage through the challenges. And we try to give our customers the best outcome with the least amount of input and meaning that they can through a single software instance or cloud management instance control a very you know disparate or dynamic environment whether it's used in the stadium it's used in the clinical hospital it's used in the the classroom for tests or it's used in the the labs for high you know really high powered computing for processing labs or, or different types of medical information or computer labs, it, it's all the same. It, it's managed differently depending on what its use is and what types of technology and power are there. But our approach is the same. So we work with our customers to deliver outcomes. So that's what makes us different. You know, we are a challenger brand. There are bigger players in our space, but we've carved out very specific use cases and areas where we succeed, which makes us number one in a number of categories like high density, high, high frequency compute. And, uh, you know, I mentioned sports and the NFL and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, it's super interesting. And especially for esports, being a, a network provider in esports, well, Wi-Fi is important in a sports stadium. Of course, in esports, it's the actual playing field. And that, you know, it yeah. makes it so important for a university to have good Wi-Fi. You don't want to have your Fortnite team go out there and lose because a different school has way better ping. You know, that's that that's a bad look that you got to have the best possible network for your team to succeed, especially with the rise of Battle Royale titles. When I was in school, I competed in Hearthstone and in Hearthstone ping doesn't really matter because you usually have to be able to click a card and put it out on the field. But with the rise of Fortnite and with Battle Royale titles, suddenly a network is becoming one of the most important things you need to succeed at it because everything is so fast-paced that whoever has lower ping a lot of times wins an engagement. So you say in, in the survey, Fortnite is being played at, was it 38% of schools? Which is a pretty high number uh, given that Fortnite college series isn't one of the more promoted if you look at league of legends they really focus on their college series which is why that number is all the way up at 82 percent but so how important is it to have these networks when you want to be successful in these different games how important is it to have a good network to rely back on uh when you're trying to create a competitive team uh, you you said it it differentiates so milliseconds matter I mean, that's the, the bottom statement. And as stakes go up, meaning more people participate when there's scholarships on the line, when there's team pride on the line, and, 
And when there's millions of dollars for prize money on the line, milliseconds matter. And it's the same thing when you translate that in esports at you know the highest levels, as you translate that to healthcare, you translate that to financial services, that millisecond matters. And it can be the difference in a lot of cases between happening or not happening, the win or the loss, or something catastrophic or something you know amazing. Um, so that's that's how we think about it. And so we try and strive. Uh, and, and strive to design our technologies to take that into account uh, in specifically in these types of environments. You know, in a high-frequency environment, a high-compute power environment, high-density, that's where we perform best, and that's why you know, organizations do turn to us for help as they're building out their esports teams, help as they're building out their arenas, and you know, look at us as number one in the NFL, for example, for powering all the different venues and we can point to these as facts. We've been doing it for the last several years, and uh, we're able to, you know, we lead by example. We just don't talk the talk. We're able to point to customers, and the customers are the ones that are telling the stories for us. Yeah, I think you're positioned in a, in a great place as schools, more and more schools are going to need esports programs and uh, esports networks, networks capable of handling. I know the UO wireless Wi-Fi was not going to be a good good enough network to play uh, to play a lot of competitive games on. It worked for Hearthstone, but it wouldn't work for much else. So it's it's going to be really important for these schools to upgrade their network if they want to make esports a big priority. And as we've covered in the past, it seems like a lot of schools are going to want to do that. Uh, speaking of that survey, we're going to link that survey in the description below this podcast. So I encourage you to check it out. It's just a nice, clean infographic, but it gives you a good idea of where esports are in a variety of schools. Uh, how many schools did did you all talk to? Is that in here? I can't can't see how how uh, what's the target size or the um, sample size of this survey? Yeah, so we sent this out to several hundred colleges, and the sample size is I want to say it's over five hundred. Um, I don't have that right in front of me on the infographic, but that was my uh, uh, recollection. And again, we're interacting as I mentioned with with. 1,700 different school districts that are engaged in technology and to get a statistical map, you know, feedback loop, getting several hundred input, uh, unique organizations is statistically uh, significant and, and indicative of what's happening. Definitely. So yeah, I'll link that survey right below. Uh, Norman, I'm going to let you go. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the work Extreme Networks is doing about esports in schools or anything else we talked about on this podcast? No, I just want to say uh, good luck with Oregon this year. They've got a, like you said, it's, it's a strong program in terms of football, and, and certainly it's a wonderful school. We know that's one of your alums. Uh, my alum's also rebuilding Michigan. Uh, we struggled out of the gate here in football in one game, but uh, we're off and running and, and uh, hope to have a good season. I hope so, too. Football's more fun when Michigan is a good team, especially because it – Creates a little bit of balance for Ohio State. I hate when Ohio State's good. So I like to, I like that rivalry being two strong teams. So I hope you guys are back on top again soon. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's Thanksgiving weekend when we'll see how it ends. But yeah, you bet. I hope so too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Norman. This was the Esports Network podcast presented, of course, by Esports Network. Thank you all for listening. Check out that survey in the description below.